Hi, this is Alison from Western Australia. Dusted is a Storywonk podcast. To show your support and for exclusive content, visit patreon.com slash storywonk. Thanks. And welcome to the show. I'm Alistair Stevens. And I'm Lonnie Diane Rich. And this is Dusted. You're, no, no, that's fine. We don't mind an entire episode about Kate. <laughs> Buffy the Vampire Slayer podcast. Do, do we do we not mind an entire episode about oh, Kate? Oh, oh, no, I was being sarcastic. Oh, sarcastic. Right, <laughs> there no, <you> sure. <laughs> My ability to parse and understand human emotions has clearly been irrevocably compromised <laughs> by this episode of television. Today on the show, Sense and Sensitivity, the sixth episode of the first season of Angel. And let's be clear right from the top, this is a bad one. Oh, we get, it's a tough time to get through this, yeah. It really is. Not that the entire episode is bad. The entire episode, arguably, is a decent piece of work. Sure. Unfortunately, it's compromised by one individual element. One individual, in fact. Kate is terrible. Okay, yeah, Kate's not great. I'm not going to argue for Kate. I've never liked Kate. She's a problem. She's a problem at a conceptual level as a character. But then when you take her at that level already being bad and then give her bad writing, it's it's a big mess. But it's also the way this episode is structured, the weight that is given to an element that absolutely has no uh, no real relevance, um, which we'll see in, in Big Tony or Little Tony. He's, he's a big guy, but they call him Little Tony. That's irony. Um, <laughs> And uh, a masterclass in irony and sarcasm. There you go. That's what you get. Getting your money's worth. But uh, yeah, so there's a lot of problems with this. I wouldn't put them all on Kate's shoulders, but I would say that choosing to rest an already weak story on the shoulders of a character that is poorly conceived, I think, is just a disaster for, well, this. Yeah, let's get into Kate right off the bat, because normally we hold our final judgments until the end of the episode. We try. We want to talk about the show (laughs) and then offer some kind of comprehensive perspective sure. on, on the events that we've seen but that's going to be tough because there's really no way to talk about sense and sensitivity without talking constantly about kate and how bad she is right and that's just going to sap all the energy out of the show so let's get it out of the way you said that she's bad at a conceptual level would you want to unpack that just a little bit? Right. Here's the problem with Kate, is that we have her as this very tough kind of invulnerable cop. And yet we've also combined it with this very trite sense of vulnerability that kind of seems to stem from the fact that she doesn't go home to a man at night. Like well, that takes the meaning out of her life. So we're trying to give her this soft feminine neuroses, which sort of undercuts her strength as a law enforcement person as a peer to angel um she just these things crash and work against each other in a really uncomfortable way the three sides of kate that we're going to deal with in this episode are you're right her her law enforcement persona her professional Mm -hmm. persona if you like then there's the single girl in the big city side to her the ally mcbeal side yes Mm -hmm. and then there's the you know neurotic child of an unloving father you know she right, buried yeah. her mother and went through this entire experience that, mm-hmm. that is a very difficult experience. And it is absolutely possible to write that character and make that character work. But when you are facing these conceptual challenges, your right. writing has to be absolutely perfect in order to 
unite them within the form of a to single make, character. To make this character work, right. And as bad as Kate is conceptually, she's even worse on the page. The script yeah. does her no favors. And then when the script is represented on screen by this, I mean, just terrible performance. I'm. It brings me no pleasure to say it, but one of the worst performances we've had in Buffy. Yeah, it's 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 cringeworthy. But at the same time, like, I don't want to put all of that at the foot of the actress because this is a collaborative thing. And if sure. she is directed to act in this way, also given the material that doesn't suit yeah. her strengths, I think Except. that you need to write to an actor's strengths. And I think here they specifically write to this particular actress's weaknesses. Sure. It's it's just tough all around. This episode was directed by James A. Contner. He's going to do 13 episodes of Angel over mm-hmm. the course of his career. We already know him very well, of course, from Buffy. He has already directed Kate yes. in Lonely Hearts. And that's the episode in which I defended Kate, because Kate was not as bad as I remember Kate being. Oh, yeah. See, I didn't like her there either. Here, though, <laughs> much worse. It's, it's just a tough thing. It's yeah. a tough nut to crack, and it started out poor and then I I, I haven't seen anybody write Kate in a way that makes her compelling for me yet so I feel like we have a lot of different things that are kind of coming into this (laughs) this world of suck that right now is Kate and I hate to be that negative about like one character or put it all at the hands of one person one writer one actress unfortunate because at least within the span of this episode she absolutely is the problem she a lot of weight is put on her in this episode and she is unable to hold it up. This episode written by Tim Minear, this is his first of 19 writing credits on Angel and he's going to write some really strong episodes yes. later in the run. I should say, this is his first aired episode. It is his second script. He mm-hmm. previously wrote Somnambulist, which is coming up later in the season because television production is weird, you guys. Yeah. Let's get into the beat-by-beat breakdown. We'll try not to talk too much about Kate until the big scene where it is unavoidable. Yes. <laughs> but also we'll try to celebrate some of the really fun stuff that's happening in this episode because besides Kate, fun stuff. it's not a catastrophe. Sure. Contner's direction is just on point. This is a beautiful looking episode of Angel. Yeah, visually, I don't think you can ever take anything away from Contner. He knows how to frame a shot. He knows how to, you know, get the visual story across. And I love the work he does here. And he manages to do some really impressive work with scenes which should not work at all. Right. We'll at least they work visually. In yes. due course. <laughs> we open on Kate chasing a guy through the streets of LA. She catches him, arrests him, and plays a little fast and loose with the reading of the Miranda rights. I don't think you're allowed to do that. I don't think you're allowed to improv your way through that. I think they, yeah. they prefer, you know, exact verbiage. This is one of the kind of second tier problems that the episode has, right. particularly through its first act. We're setting this episode up as a police procedural. Uh-huh. Through the first act, there's nothing supernatural in the story, in the A plot at least, right. at all. This is just how the police operate in the universe of Angel. The problem is when you're writing a police procedural, it behooves you to get the procedures right. Well, it's not just that. You can write a police procedural where somebody gets stuff wrong, but it inevitably takes a chunk out of our sense of their capability and competence. And I don't think Kate can afford another chunk taken out of this character. (laughs) To be clear, this has nothing to do with real life police procedures. This is to do with when you are referencing the police procedural as a genre of television, we know as an audience what that involves. We know as an audience what the Miranda rights sound like and that it's important that you deliver them properly. Exactly. Like right here, we are prioritizing Kate's ability to be snarky and quippy. 
instead of her flying kick yes instead of her (laughs) ability to like you know do her job and i think that her competence can't afford to take that kind of a hit at this point because her competence as a police officer is kind of the only thing that's holding this character up well particularly when her purpose narratively speaking less so in this specific episode than in the arc as a whole her purpose is to provide a mirror for Angel. Right, right, right. She's a a real human side of, yeah. yes. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, we don't get much of that. At the station, Kate questions the guy about mob boss little Tony Papazian, but when he refuses to help, she assaults him just okay. outright. Is it just me or just once? Would it be nice to have a mobster who was like, say, Scandinavian. Okay, we can talk a little Why can't about- we have Arvid Two Fingers doing this? Well, I understand why. It's because we're going to the stereotypes. <laughs> because we're going to the Italian stereotypes. It's a little weird that this is LA. Yes. And we have basically a police department from Boston. Right. <laughs> taking on, you know, Italian mobsters. It doesn't feel like LA. And I have no idea. I mean, clearly the mob had a great influence in LA. I'm sure. I don't know if that's, you know, ethnically sensitive or if that's <laughs> ethnically diverse or if it's just going to the stereotype for the sake of the stereotype. For the sake of the, the sake of the stereotype. It feels honestly a little lazy to me, but I don't know if that's fair or not. I don't think it's something that would trip us up if we weren't already. If we weren't already. See, this is the thing. When writing starts to fall apart every little detail catches your eye every little detail makes you question because you don't trust the writer so like in this circumstance i don't trust the writing on this so like every little detail trips me up yeah but it does feel a little at this i see what you're saying and you're right at Mm -hmm. the same time it also just feels a little flat that it's irish cops versus italian mobsters it's that dynamic that we've seen yeah so so many times Mm -hmm. before it turns out, though, that the assault doesn't help. Without extra information, there's no hope of finding little Tony. Angel, meanwhile, battles a tentacle monster in the sewers, which we don't get confirmation of this, but I like to believe that that is the Hellmouth beast yeah. from beneath the library. <laughs> right. When Sunnydale High blew up, yeah. the Hellmouth beast decided, no, enough is enough. Hitched a ride in the back of Oz's van. Sure, sure. Wound up in the sewers in LA. Went looking for a little better real estate. <laughs> I'm not a big fan of the actual specifics of this scene. Yeah, right. I could live without the gag mm-hmm. that caps the scene. Uh, right, Cordelia complaining about yeah. about angel sensitivity. Meanwhile, Doyle is being strangled right behind her and she doesn't notice. Yes. But I like very much the idea that this adventure is just happening in the sidelines. It really did have a Zeppo feel to it. It did, it did. It was kind of fun. just unfolding mm-hmm. without an excess of, of commentary. So not a promising start to the episode, but as I said earlier, you know, Contner really makes it look amazing yeah it does mm-hmm. there's a lot of, of great work and even the tentacle beast which you would expect perhaps yeah. would not look so great i think they managed to make it work yeah they sold it i mean i'm not a big fan of like the tentacle demons because it feels more to me just like a, an animal out of control as opposed to a demon with agency and thought and and extensive uh you know like uh brain processes going on there <laughs> you know uh but uh, you know i liked it and i actually i liked that we opened up with this idea of angel being insensitive to cordelia and doyle i could have done with maybe that being expressed in a slightly more sophisticated manner, but I was I was okay with it. Yeah, it's one of these things that you have to simply accept mm-hmm. because we don't have time mm-hmm. to really develop that storyline when we're 
you know, preoccupied with, with the things case as story. the way that they are. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. After the credits, we pick up in Angel headquarters. Cordelia complains about Angel's lack of sensitivity mm-hmm. in that very plot, direct, and relevant way. She also references Jar Jar Binks because 1999. Right. Exactly. But that for me is absolute confirmation that the Phantom Dennis was deliberate. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> no, it absolutely it is, is. A clear, clear reference. Kate arrives at Angel HQ and awkwardly leads Angel into his office. She wants Angel to find little Tony, and she's willing to pay. Seems like a job for the investigators. And I have to say, at this point in the episode, I was on board. Sure. I thought this is a really cool way of dialing down the intensity on the Mm -hmm. supernatural Mm storylines, really giving Angel a chance to coexist alongside these more mundane investigations. Right. All of Mm -hmm. this stuff is, is... pretty strong in his in his office that is streaming with sunlight coming through the venetian blinds that are wide open in the middle of the day okay again the little details when you stop trusting the writing the The little little details details. (laughs) later doyle and cordelia are researching little tony angel tries to thank cordelia for her efforts and i think we're going to get a lot of good awkward Boreanas yeah. in mm-hmm. this episode. He mm-hmm. manages to deliver that as, as well yeah. as we expect him to deliver it by now. He's he's a lot of fun. I like him when he's put in a situation where he has to understand human emotion. I right. think that that's really put fun. Put a pin in that thought because okay. we're going to have the opportunity to we talk about We will discuss Angel that in detail being later. a little silly in just a while. The investigation looks a little more promising, though, when Angel figures out that they might be able to track little Tony's hiding place from the tidal effects on the bodies of his victims. Which is a nice piece of writing. Mm-hmm. I kind of like, I mean, ultimately it leads them to an abandoned warehouse in the docks district. Oh, sure. Like it was ever going to lead them anywhere else, but I kind of like it nonetheless. <laughs> At the police station, Kate runs into her father, a cop who was about to retire. There's some tension between the two. Perhaps he's disappointed that his daughter didn't turn out to be a better actor. Angel calls with news of Little Tony's location. Kate tells him to get out of there, but he sees a boat approaching and realizes that Little Tony is about to escape. So he does what we would all do. Puts on a Hawaiian shirt and impersonates a tourist. Okay. I know that you don't like, you know, the whole Herb Saunders, Baltimore thing, but... I actually really like it, and I can't really defend it because it's Angel and a couple of, like, overweight old mobsters and then, like, one or two guys who might put up a fight for a little bit. So it's not like he needs the element of surprise, no, and you know? And that's my problem with it. I don't mind that being a part of Angel's character, and I don't mind it being a part of the show. We can go silly from mm-hmm. time to time if we want to, and it's it's charming enough it's just insufficiently motivated it is absolutely he's insufficiently angel. motivated but and i loved when it he's tangling with the mob yeah. he's dealing with a couple of mooks in bad suits and who are going to rely on their guns which have no effect on i mean exactly they might right. hurt a little bit but i mean they have no real effect on angel so and yeah. it doesn't functionally delay anything mm-hmm. so it, for me it's insufficiently motivated that's the real problem i don't know why we're spending time doing this under this circumstance i don't have a you know fundamental objection yeah. To this version of Angel's character. But yeah, it, it doesn't work for me. And in an episode that's, you're right, you know, in an episode in which I'm already feeling insecure. Exactly. The little things, you're you're less able to whistle past the little things. Sure. You know, so it all becomes kind of irritating. So Angel takes out the goons as Kate arrives and arrests little Tony, though you'd think she'd be a little happier about it and a little less snippy with Angel. At the station, Kate and Tony banter back and forth. We cut hard to Tony's phone call. And to Lee Mercer of Wolfram and Hart, who tells his client that the thorn in his side will soon be removed permanently. (laughs) Because normally, when you remove the thorn from someone's side, it's only a temporary reprieve. You take the thorn out and then put it back. It's important that he stresses that this thorn, though, 
removed permanently. This is an absolute thornectomy. We will take that thorn away and just throw it in a dumpster. It's the little things. It's the little things. It's the little things. At the station, Mercer files a petition to have Tony transferred out of the precinct for fear of his safety. Mercer then threatens Kate and the entire police department with exposure, particularly regarding Kate's unorthodox tactics. This is the problem with the police procedural Mm -hmm. component. I don't believe, and again, this isn't based on real life. This is based on my knowledge of CSI and law and order. And, and everything else that you see from exactly, this, yeah. TV, police Which, report. by the way, I mean, do, they do a fair amount of research into actual police procedure. So, sure. you know. The point I'm making, yeah. though, is less, is less that this is not realistic mm-hmm. and more that it is not true to my understanding as a, a general member of the audience. Right. The fact that there is a stenographer in the interview room yeah, mm-hmm. makes no sense to me. <laughs> and the fact that said stenographer is taking instruction from this lawyer as while opposed there are to... detectives in the room. Oh, maybe it's his stenographer. Maybe he brings his own stenographer <laughs> Why wouldn't you rather a than a recorder? recording device. <laughs> what is with that? And I would think that the recording device would be cheaper, but perhaps she's a demon stenographer. At the office, Angel and Cordelia talk about the case and about Cordelia's brand new shoes that everyone noticed. Doyle arrives, notices the shoes, Mm -hmm. with the news that Tony is planning something. And let me speak up here in defense of Doyle. Okay. We get some really good Doyle in this episode. We do get some nice Doyle. I like him consistently. Yeah. He's present. He's quick on his feet. He's Mm -hmm. funny. I like it. I'm not keen on, as I said, the, the end of the cold open there with him being strangled and Cordelia right. doing her piece mm-hmm. basically to camera. A, a little stagey for my taste. Right. But I like Doyle consistently through the episode and the beat yeah. where he notices Cordelia's shoes. It's it's a nice like little that. moment. I yeah. really, really like that. Yeah. <laughs> and it's indicative of the fact that it really is Kate that's dragging the story down. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Everything that surrounds it. Not at all bad. Even Tony, though. Arguably, that's not the most subtle performance you're ever going to see. (laughs) Later at the cop bar, Kate is greeted by the other officers. She talks with her father. Then Harlan stops by with a memo about mandatory sensitivity training. They move fast in the LAPD. (laughs) This would be a great opportunity, too, to talk about uh, John Mann. John Mann, Mm -hmm. perhaps. Mm M-A-H-O-N. The guy that plays Trevor, Kate's father. Oh, sure. He's just great. Mm -hmm. He's just a great character actor. You've seen him in a thousand things. I know him best and love him most as George the Doorman from Studio 60 on the Sunset (laughs) Strip. That short-lived Aaron Sorkin series from a few mm -hmm. years ago. He's just great, and he's great in this. He is very good in this, yeah. There's a note, we'll talk about it, I guess, at the end. Mm -hmm. But the final moment of irresolution between him and Kate, that moment that is so powerful that goes a long way toward redeeming the episode. Oh, sure it does, yeah. Not a part of Tim Minear's original script. Tim Minear wrote that scene so that they were reconciled, (gasps) so that he apologized. Joss Whedon. Oh, good for Joss. Good for Joss. No, no. That's not how that scene plays yeah. out in mm-hmm. the Buffyverse, and it's a great scene. We'll talk about that a little more when we get there. The following day, Alan Lloyd is conducting the training session. Everyone else in the room has their first name on their stickers. He has his surname. He likes to stand apart mm-hmm. from the others. He introduces the talking stick and offers it to Heath, who starts talking about his family history. This is genuinely a masterclass in delivering character vulnerability oh, sure. right off the bat. Mm-hmm. Heath gets, I don't know what, maybe six, maybe eight lines in mm-hmm. the entire episode. And he's immediately compelling. He manages to bring such vulnerability right. 
just right off the bat. Did, did that scene work for you? I was, yeah, I was more interested and engaged by his vulnerability than I was by the big concrete block of Kate's vulnerability yeah. that gets dumped on us. Yeah, and and you know, I really have to study it to think about why he's so much more effective. But I think it is because. It doesn't come with a sledgehammer. With with Kate, we've got her vulnerability and this big sledgehammer. We've got all this backstory and all this stuff going on. And it's just endless and uncomfortable. But with him, the vulnerability is best expressed when it's kind of hidden under some layers because people protect their vulnerability. And we like to ferret it out like a mystery. So when somebody just has a look in their eye or they have a stammer in their speech or something that indicates they're getting close to something that really matters, we pick up on that. So it's the difference between a whisper and a bullhorn. Yeah, because people only talk about their vulnerability. Characters only talk about their vulnerability under the most exceptional of circumstances. Right. Mm -hmm. When you approach it directly, when you state it articulately, as Kate, you know, clearly strives to do right, <laughs> during yes. the episode, mm -hmm. it doesn't work because it feels inauthentic. This is this is a human psychological response. Yeah. We are keyed at a very fundamental level to be suspicious of inauthentic declarations of vulnerability. Absolutely, that, that's part of you know social programming, and that unfortunately hampers Kate's vulnerability quite a bit. Mm -hmm. But Heath is great. The actor who plays Heath, Kevin Will, I'm going to be looking for him in the future. I checked out his IMDb page. He's in pretty much everything. Oh, great. He's in Dollhouse. He's in Firefly. He's in Gilmore Girls. Oh. So I'm going to be keeping to track of watch Kevin out Will for him. Yeah. in the future. But in that moment, he just opens up and it's, it's really, really strong stuff. Kate interrupts and Lloyd tricks her into taking the stick by basically calling her chicken. He basically, Marty McFly's oh, her into taking the stick. He tells her about her fear of loss and her history of pain. And it seems like we're approaching something, but instead we cut away to Angel, who's talking with Doyle's contact. Tony is going after Kate. Angel races to the precinct, where Kate apologizes to him for being such a hard ass. Kate invites him to the retirement party for her father, and he agrees. He tells her about Tony but she's struggling to achieve her normal level of cynicism. Lloyd and Mercer, meanwhile, talk in the brilliantly composed, I don't know, secret arcane sanctum? Yeah. Wherever yeah. this place is. Full of Lloyd red velvet out, and candles, which is Dan. just showing you that something bad's happening. Pretty if there's great. red velvet and candles, nothing good's happening there. One more session, we learn, is all it will take. At the retirement party, Kate is being very vocal about her feelings, and I actually like the way that this scene starts. Mm -hmm. I like the way when she's talking with Angel, and yeah. we are not paying very close attention to what she's saying, mm -hmm. it works fairly well. She introduces Angel to her father, who is just a bundle of charm. <laughs> Kate steps up to give her address, and this is it. This is the problem with the episode. The speech goes off the rails almost immediately. And hey, let's definitely make this very public moment all about you, Kate, because of how you're the worst person in the world. I mean, I understand she's under, you know, a demonic influence, you know, and that. Mm -hmm. But but again, it's this whole thing. Like, we don't respond to vulnerability with a sledgehammer. No. When you give us vulnerability with a sledgehammer, it's very, very uncomfortable. And it comes off as incredibly selfish and manipulative. Which it is. Yeah. I mean, this is the point at which everything that is bad about Kate really fundamentally breaks. The fact that this is the fulcrum around which the episode turns, this is just the fracture point mm -hmm. in the episode. And it leaves us with... A moment that is truly, truly awful in a way that Buffy is rarely truly awful. In yeah. a way that network television, honestly, is rarely <laughs> truly awful. You yeah. usually have to go way out in the fringes, way out in the woods to get something this 
shockingly bad. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it's terrible on a conceptual level. It's terrible on a script level. And the performance is just dire. I was waiting for you to defend this episode. We did talk a little bit before sure. I watched this episode. Mm-hmm. And you were like, eh, it's not that bad. It's not. It's it not wasn't as bad as I remembered it. <laughs> <laughs> if you were going to defend this speech, mm-hmm. I was going to make you read it on the podcast. Oh, that's but funny. Since you are just as eager as I am to No, it's it. it's terrible. It's terrible. You couldn't even tell a scared little girl a beautiful lie. Oh my Do god. Do you realize you've never once told me I'm pretty? <laughs> <laughs> like that's the biggest thing. As if. As if that matters, well, yeah. And I guess if I'm going to kind of mm-hmm. be very careful about my position with regard to the script, it's it's in that particular regard. I want to make it clear that the writing here is also dreadful. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, not, it's not entirely not Elizabeth Rome's fault. Yes. Not entirely. I mean, mm-hmm. she's bad too, yeah. but I don't think the best actor could have salvaged. It would have been really tough to to bring something to this that would have made it work because it is, it's such a sledgehammer of vulnerability, which is something that just, it makes you uncomfortable. It's, it's horrible to watch. And I understand we're supposed to be seeing her under a demonic influence, but this goes, I think, further and deeper than just the sensitivity that's supposed to, you know, dismantle the police force. Yes, though exactly how that sensitivity is applied seems to vary wildly from person to oh, person. Oh, sure it does. But yeah. in a kind of okay whistle past it kind of right Mm -hmm. the speech though the worst scene this is the worst scene that we've seen in buffy it's pretty painful single Mm -hmm. scene this is up there with those boys really love their coach oh god in terms of it's just raw and sharp edged awfulness if we had traveled back in time and shown this scene to philo farnsworth and john logie baird (laughs) they would have burned their workshops to the ground rather than allow for the possibility that television may someday be created That is how I I genuinely hate. I think that might be a little excessive, but I appreciate the creativity with which you express that. That's very nice. That's when, blessedly, thankfully, the fight breaks out, fueled by an excess of sensitivity. At the office, Cordelia has been summoned by Angel, who is trying to deal with Kate, who is just debilitated at this point. And apparently, in Kate's case, being overwhelmed by sensitivity makes you drunk. Well, didn't she drink a little champagne at the party? Are we blaming little, this on her being A little drunk? champagne at the party. She had a glass because yeah. it, she started the speech maybe 25 seconds after oh. arriving at the party because, you know, well, scheduling. She's, she's a tiny thing. She probably didn't eat all day. A little champagne goes right to your head. I think we are led to believe by the context that we're given that this is because she is so very sensitive in that moment. Yes. I don't know what the performance is. I don't know what she's going for. I don't know. It's just insane. Mm -hmm. Angel looks at the flyer while Kate intrudes upon Doyle's relationship with Cordelia, both of whom do very nicely in that moment. Sure they do. I really Mm -hmm. like both Cordelia and Doyle right then. Armed with the address for Lloyd, Angel leaves Kate in their capable hands and heads out into the night. Arriving at the aforementioned creepy sanctum, Angel finds Lloyd, but we cut back to the office where Kate is still talking about her father and waving around a gun and... What? Yeah, Why? This is where the episode takes a turn. This is not really a problem with Kate per se. Uh Uh-huh. What we're doing here, the idea that an excess of sensitivity could lead to this kind of... I don't know. Just ridiculous loss of basic understanding of how the world works. Yeah, I don't know. I don't quite connect those dots. Mm -hmm. And again, this is a consequence perhaps of feeling insecure in the writing. Yeah. Is that I'm Mm -hmm. looking for, I'm looking for something to put your feet on. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Angel talks with Lloyd who hits him with the talking stick in retrospect. 
Maybe that's a mistake. <laughs> Back at the station, Heath frees the prisoners in the name of fraternity and fellow feeling. He urges them to be kind and is promptly assaulted. Another great scene with Heath. Sure. MVP. Heath, yeah. Oh, absolutely. He's just yeah. Great. Kate arrives, followed by Angel. He runs into Cordelia and Doyle out front, and there is hugging. <laughs> Not a terrible moment. Okay. I like Angel under the effect of the sensitivity. I think that to get to that, I like that he is affected by the demonic talking stick. I like the humor there. Um, there's there's some good stuff in here. There's some baby in the bathwater. I think there is too. I think there are individual moments that are great. I genuinely like the chemistry between mm-hmm. Angel and Cordelia and Doyle. Sure. I think our mm-hmm. heroes are, if anything, more connected in this episode than they've been yeah. in any other episode. Oh, absolutely. That we've seen yeah. They really feel like like a team that there's a real genuine friendship there and right. i like that a great deal well it's the good stuff that got pushed into the background when that should have been the foreground but it's also shaky on a conceptual level yeah mm-hmm. angel is hesitant about using violence mm-hmm. he's hesitant he feels bad for beating up lloyd right. in mm-hmm. the first place mm-hmm. which is fine mm-hmm. sensitivity and sure. all that that's sure, good sure. the problem with that is that someone has apparently forgotten that Angel is an inhuman monster. Right. That Angel's defining characteristic, in fact, is that he is haunted by the guilt of a thousand abominations. Right. You give Angel any more sensitivity than he's already got, and he is going to just disintegrate. Exactly. An ounce of sensitivity, a moment, a flicker of sensitivity, Mm -hmm. and he would be curled up in a ball in the corner. And it's worse here because we deliberately reference it, that he feels bad for beating up Lloyd and ultimately will feel bad for, you know, pummeling an old man. Yeah, right. It feels as though this episode has such a loose grasp on who Angel is. In fact, apart from the fact that he vamps out. Yeah. Angel is not functionally a vampire in this episode of the TV show. It's going to the joke. You know, because it's funny, like because Angel beats people up and he hits them, but he feels bad about it because that's funny. Right, but that no, joke but that's would work funny. just as well if it were Doyle doing it. I'm being sarcastic it, or again. Doing yeah, it. no, I yeah, but I mean the thing is like we're we're working so hard to go to the joke that we forget who <laughs> Angel is and how this would affect him and how this would work. I like him having some sensitivity, and I think that there are ways to save this that I'll talk about at the end, or basically that there are ways to rewrite the whole concept yeah, and could, make it you work. You could rewrite the whole yeah. thing. There is a kernel of of solid narrative craft at the heart right. of this, and certainly there are some interesting ideas that could be explored. Unfortunately, yeah. we are where we are. Angel is cautious about vamping out in the face of the investigators because he doesn't care for their judgment. And here we have another tiny little beat of really strong Doyle. Yeah. Where mm-hmm. Doyle, seeing that Angel is incapacitated by this, just strides up to the front door. He's yeah. going to take He's just getting stuff done. I love that. Mostly mm-hmm. so that we can get the beat, the joke about the police officer locking the door. And that's okay, too. Sure. But mm-hmm. good Doyle is good Doyle. And it's rare I'll enough take that it, I will right. still value it. Mm-hmm. Inside the police station, chaos has been unleashed. Tony has raided the armory and has started killing cops, which is a weird tonal shift for this episode. Yeah. All of a sudden, we've gone from, oh, it's so funny, they're laughing and crying and hugging and everyone's just debilitated and that's fine, to, oh, he's just murdering police he's officers He's just now. murdering police officers, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's, I don't know if this is the function of, you know, it's not 1999 anymore. I don't know if the world has changed I don't so think thoroughly. that murdering police officers was funny in 1999 either. I'm going to go out on a limb and say <laughs> that I think <laughs> culturally, <laughs> sure. we were sensitive to it even back then. Yeah, it feels really weird I'm, I'm scrambling to try and find an explanation no i know i know but i mean like no tonally this is a big break because the only reason to debilitate the cops is so that he can just walk out 
Right, but we addressed that textually. Yeah. And that was the original plan was that the was that he was just going to walk out and then but then he wants to kill Kate, but the thing is that he can walk right through all of these people without killing anybody. That's the whole point. If you're just going to shoot up the thing, the place, you don't need the sensitivity training to get yeah. out. The whole point of that is so that you can get out without incurring any additional you know, uh, crimes on your record there. You'd hope so. So you would think, and that's part of what bothers me about this episode. One of the things that bothers me the most about this episode is just the complete lack of any any sensible thinking. There's sure. nothing in here that makes any sense. Which, again, in other circumstances, wouldn't necessarily be the you problem You can that whistle it is past here. a little right. bit, but this is just way too much whistling. It's nothing but whistling yeah. this week on the show. Angel and the others break into the station. They do a little theater about consideration and courtesy. Then we cut to Tony holding Kate at gunpoint. Kate kills one of the criminals while Angel, a powerful, supernatural, unholy force for good in the world physically beats an old man unconscious. Right. And I mean, here's the thing. That old man, you know, blew away a cop not too long ago and had a gun, you know. But the thing is, you can disarm. Once Tony is disarmed, he is a 300-pound man in his 60s, 70s. He's getting Mm -hmm. up there. So you don't have to do with him. Plus, he's human, let's face it. And Angel's vampire strength is supposed to be reserved for killing and maiming evil demons humans can be dealt with with the cops yeah, i'm you not know? saying that tony's not a monster i'm saying that our approach to that is just no so i'm saying inconsistent. even with that yeah, it doesn't yeah. excuse angel would and especially angel in sensitivity mode this is the other thing he's supposed to be so sensitive at this time if angel was ever going to simply take the gun away from tony and say now you shouldn't be this would be the moment but even when angel isn't under sensitivity a human, an elderly human man, he's just going to take the gun away yeah. and I'm let the police that deal Angel with him. Wasn't shot. Yeah, I, 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 I can't. I, I don't feel even like know. In my memory of this episode, I had backfilled that he shoots Angel and Angel just takes the gun away. Anyway. Yeah, which you would, which is what he would do. It's, it's, it's on the table. It's which right is there. what he would do. Yeah. The crisis resolved. Kate and Angel hug it out. Later, Tony talks on the phone with Mercer, who tells him that their relationship is terminated. Shooting up a police precinct was too public to be overlooked. We then learn that Internal Affairs is investigating the whole deal. Kate apparently has only the vaguest memories of what happened, which, by the way, means that Kate's career is over, Mm -hmm. as well as every other police officer who was serving in that police department at the time. Right. It's done. Yeah. While under the influence of some unknown factor, Mm -hmm. she shoots and kills a prisoner mm-hmm. and then can't remember what happened well With the I mean, best will in the world everything was recorded on video and these guys were shooting and killing their way out of the jail so i think that probably she'd be okay but there Maybe. would be an extensive she would at least be you know suspended for a while you would think so yeah. angel leaves as kate's father arrives and tells her that she embarrassed him she made an idiot out of herself and that we shall never speak of this again. And there, in the closing moment of the episode, I finally find a perspective with which I can completely agree. Right, exactly. We're not supposed to be on his side. But I kind of am on his in side. This, in this one instance, I feel like it's it's speaking on a meta level. Like, let's just never speak of this again. You know? So here's the thing. Yes. It is not a bad episode. Well, okay. It is oh, a it's episode. a bad episode. It's not a bad concept. It's not a bad concept. It's not a completely irredeemable episode. It's not no. mm-hmm. as comprehensively awful yes. as something like Go Fish, mm-hmm. for example. 
because most of the episode works. Most of the episode with with a bit of, you know, yeah. polish on the script, tighten a few things up, return the focus to Angel. Remember that Angel is a vampire. Yes. Little things like that. If you can tighten all that stuff up, the original concept is fairly good. Unfortunately, the execution is really failing. The yeah. script is just bad. Well, because the whole Tony Papazian thing is all scaffolding. That's all scaffolding that holds up why Wolfram and Hart the is involved. The why... act is completely unnecessary. Exactly. And here's the thing. This should be about Cordy and Doyle dealing with Angel not appreciating them. And that's yes. what it starts out with. Then we have Angel getting sensitivity and being disabled by it. And then Cordy and Doyle have to step up and save the day. That's, what, that's the story that I wanted to see. Um, having Kate in the background with her father taking away the sledgehammer giving us a whisper of vulnerability in there doing that better all right fine i'm not i'm not averse to that but this being kate centric this being a plot kate um i think you know we should have a plot cordy doyle and angel and then b plot kate and then also a much simpler we put all all the scaffolding up you know um, about Wolfram and Hart getting involved because of Big Tony and the Big Tony killed a guy and we have to explain all of this reason why Kate's after Tony and why yada yada yada. Instead, I mean, just have Wolfram and Hart as an exercise seeing if they can completely disable the police department. Yeah. And on that night, all well, of the criminals go free no. and that becomes a thing. I disagree you know? there. I think keeping it as an abstract exercise drains away some of the immediacy we need a present antagonist mm -hmm. and for my money little tony works as well as any other would he's not interesting it's or way too to much time spent building up no, little that tony is definitely yeah. true the entire first act of this story should be cut because it's all prologue mm -hmm. the first moment that actually matters in this story besides arguably the brief interaction between uh mm -hmm. between cordelia and angel about right. his sensitivity about his lack of courtesy the first beat that really matters is i guess the speech yeah. In terms of the story that we're dealing with, mm -hmm. you can do some structural work. You can even have Kate go to Angel and recruit his help to take down Little Tony. We can do that. Mm -hmm. But we burn a lot of time in the first act. Yeah. Just explaining the whole thing. I mean, Kate wants yeah. to take down Little Tony because he's a mobster. We don't need the whole history we're of he killed a council person or whatever it was. Training. Yeah. And the sensitivity training needs to be right up top. It um, absolutely does. So, yeah. I. I think that there are ways to uh, to rescue this and to make it work. I think that it falls apart really dreadfully um, and then just gets completely insane and out of hand. I don't think the insanity is necessarily problematic. I rather like the police department being compromised, the precinct being compromised. I like that too. By the excess of sensitivity. I like that when the guy like is giving out tickets to the car crash and he's talking about his, you know, you don't understand my situation or whatever. Yeah, I thought some yeah. of that stuff was kind of funny. Um, and I like that they do that. I just, you don't need that much scaffolding. It doesn't need to be as focused on Kate. You can have it be a much, much smaller moment with Kate. As a matter of fact, a smaller moment with Kate and her father. If we see that relationship and then we have a small moment with no. Kate and her father but I think you dump Kate and her father I, I'm just not interested in that story and I don't think there's enough there to justify it yeah I don't care about Kate enough to care about her relationship with her father or her or history or any is. of that stuff yeah mm -hmm. I just there's it's not good enough oh and, god and, and the stuff where she would talk about her friend's mother who smelled like marshmallows or whatever I can't remember what it was everything it's everything just, in oh god it's painful yeah painful mm -hmm. but there is some good we get mm -hmm. an interesting interesting kind of nod toward 
the relationship between Cordelia and Doyle. Sure. Doyle feels like a rounded and developed character in this Doyle episode. Doyle is more much than he better. Has. Mm-hmm. That whole thing is working. I like the idea that that Angel's having other adventures. The, the I like, sewer yeah. tentacle monster is Angel is a nice with thought. sensitivity. The I love. Sword. I love. I there's some say, funny writing in the yeah. back half, even with even with all the sure. problems that we've highlighted. But fundamentally, I think this is the this is the central problem, or or the other half of the central problem, because mm-hmm. obviously one half of the central problem is just Kate. The other half is that it doesn't feel like an Angel episode, mm-hmm. because Angel's unique qualities and characteristics are basically sidelined yeah. by the events of this episode. Mm-hmm. You take any you know taciturn hero, mm-hmm. you take any kind of private eye on the streets of L.A. And you could plug him into the story and it would work not just as well, but right. actually better. Right. Because all the things that make Because we Angel don't have unique, all of Angel's baggage on that. Exactly. But the thing is that using something like this, using something that essentially has humor to illustrate Angel's darkness and what that extra sensitivity would do to him, um, that would have been really interesting thing to do because I think that Angel as a funny episode just haha look how funny and wild and wacky we are doesn't work but Angel with humor that puts some illumination on the extent of the darkness I think that that's a really nice combination and something we had a great opportunity to do here but we sidestepped it for a joke and I mean the thing is like I love seeing David Boreanaz as Angel doing something that is not Angel-like like when he's sensitive when he's Herb Saunders when he plays these characters I love seeing that because David Boreanaz pulls that off really nicely and it's fun to see Angel do something other than brood you know Um, and he's good when he does it so I like giving him those opportunities but I think that you when you forget the essential darkness at the heart of Angel I think that you you miss an opportunity but you also kind of break the world a little bit oh you absolutely you know yeah no that's how we end up in the circumstance where we move from Angel teasing Cordelia about saying please yeah courtesy in in the basement of the precinct we cut from that to Tony gunning down police officers yeah that is a tonal shift that is impossible to deliver on. You can't navigate you can't that. Do that. Right. Mm-hmm. You either have to make the humor much darker or make the dramatic elements of the story, such as they are, much lighter. And the yeah. solution in this episode is clearly to make the dramatic stuff lighter because there's no need for it to be as dark as it is. Well, because the thing is that when you have something like Tony gunning down a cop, it's in that moment that we need to start taking things seriously. And the fact that we don't, that we go straight from that into more jokey, jokey, haha, then. What that does is it basically says this is not a big deal. We're we're skipping past the consequence of oh this just got dark. Yeah, and you can't go the back. Same is true of Kate shooting mm-hmm. the guy. It's probably more true in yeah. fact of Kate shooting the guy. That's not a line that you should trivially cross. Exactly. If you're going to do something like that, because in no way are we saying you can't combine humor and darkness. You absolutely can and should. I highly recommend it. But when you bring in that darkness, you have to give it its appropriate weight. And here we don't. We treat that as though it's a trivial action. It's a trivial action for Tony to shoot a cop. It's a trivial action for Kate to, you know, kill one of these guys. Although in that moment, I would say they busted out of jail. They shot a few cops. Kate is justified in shooting those guys. Right. But um, she's justified in her action based on an action that shouldn't have been in the story in the first place. And based on an action We've that we're, already, are we sure that she's, did she see the cop get shot? Did she know that they just killed? They know I, they I came in with guns. I believe so. No. They came in waving guns regardless. though into a police station. Sure. I think that that's enough justification for Kate to, to feel threatened and to shoot them. In a different story, certainly. Yeah. But, but in it's, this story? It's, but it's problematic because we're not giving weight 
to the things that need weight. So let's move on to what may be a surprising discussion. Given everything that we've said, where are we going to put this episode in the list of every Angel episode ever? You know, it's tough (laughs) because some of these episodes have not been great, you know, and in the beginning, some, you know... When you only have five other episodes to compare it to, where it lands can feel a little bit weird. I mean, I would put it, I would put it at four. I would put it below Room of the View and above I Fall to Pieces and Lonely Hearts, which I feel are worse than this episode. (laughs) That is insane. I don't think that's insane. There is no way that Lonely Hearts is worse. Lonely Hearts is worse than this. There is no way, no way in which Lonely Hearts is worse than this episode. (laughs) I Fall to Pieces is only worse than this episode because it's it's irredeemable. It doesn't have the high points that this episode has. Mm-hmm. This episode really does give us good Doyle. It really does give us good chemistry uh, between our heroes. Mm-hmm. We have David Boreanaz being incredibly charming in a number of different ways. And we have some fast and some funny writing. Those elements are shunted off to the periphery, certainly, and Kate is enormously problematic. But the good stuff is still... Good. Well, see, sounds like you're making my argument for me. No, and I fall to pieces. There's nothing like that. I fall to pieces is is just as bad, probably, arguably, on a yes. conceptual level. And the execution is every bit as shaky. I fall to pieces is nothing like as So quickly. how is Lonely Hearts because better Lonely than Lonely Hearts has a story. Lonely Hearts has a an actual plot that it delivers effectively. There's nothing that you have to whistle past in Lonely Hearts as hard as you have to whistle constantly. Through either this episode or through I Fall to Pieces. All right. I don't um, think that Lonely that Hearts is a measure, great episode. I hate Lonely Hearts. But I no, would watch this again before I watched Lonely Hearts. I can't even with Because that. it's terrible is because why. Because as bad as the dialogue is in Lonely Hearts, as, as stagey and awful, arguably as, as self-consciously stagey and awful as the dialogue can be in Lonely Hearts, there's nothing in that episode that is as, as unremittingly bleak and painful as the speech in in this episode mm, right well well i'll grant you that kate's speech is the hands down worst moment of angel so far <laughs> and the fact that it lasts that long can be considered a weight that will sink this down lower in the whole thing I all think right lonely hearts has to go i will higher. agree with you that lonely hearts has focus in its yes. story so at Simply least in that, terms of its yeah. plot movement and mechanics i think lonely hearts was for me, more an exercise in missed potential mm-hmm. than it was in in compromised storytelling. I think the fact that Lonely Hearts tells a cohesive story puts it above this episode. But we're definitely, you know, there's a hard split there, I would argue, between Room with a View and Lonely Hearts, between the top half and the bottom half of the I list. would say so. There's a hard split there. All right. I'll, I'll compromise. I'll compromise. I am not unreasonable. I'll put it at number five on the list. <laughs> All that sensitivity training's paying off. I know. See, see how that works out. <laughs> there it is. Number five on the list. Sense and sensitivity. I managed to get through the entire episode, too, without rolling my eyes when I said the title, which is pretty impressive. It's a bad, bad title. You're doing very well. Thanks so much. Thank you. I appreciate it. Next time, The Bachelor Party, written by Tracy Stern, directed by David Strayton. That will be the Angel Show that we talk about next Thursday, but we will be back first on Monday with our thoughts on the seventh episode of the first season of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, The Initiative, when things get real can't wait to talk about that and i can't wait to see angel get back to form after this shaky shaky episode (laughs) guys we will be back on monday with more until then i'm alistair stevens and i'm lonnie diane rich and this is dusted
Hello, everybody. Welcome to the end of an era. Now, the old man would like us to believe that he couldn't care less about all this attention and free booze, but I know him better than that. He put a lot of years in on the job, and he made a difference in a lot of lives, and now it's over. That's a huge deal, no matter what he says. In fact, I'm not really sure if he knows what he's going to do with himself. He forgot how to be anything but a cop a long time ago. And maybe, maybe that's why I became a cop too. After mom died, you stopped, you know? It was like you couldn't stand the sight of me. Her face, her eyes looking up at you. But big girls don't cry, right? You said, gone's gone and there's no use wallowing. Worms and dirt and nothing forever. Not one word about a better place. You couldn't even tell a scared little girl a beautiful lie. God, I wanted to drink with you. I wanted you to laugh with me just once the way you laughed with Jimmy here or Frank. My best friend Joanne, her mom was soft and she smelled like macaroni and cheese and she'd pick me up on her lap and she would rock me. She said that she wanted to keep me to herself. She said that I was good and sweet. Everybody said I was. Do you realize that you never told me that I'm pretty not once in my life? Well, I can't anymore, Dad. I can't campaign for the office of your beloved daughter you closed your heart after mom left us and that's it you're welcome internet <laughs> <laughs> oh god that's bad 